Um, and then let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy. For our scripture reading this morning, 2 Timothy, we're looking at chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul writing to Timothy, You therefore, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many... Oh, sorry, I'm reading chapter 2. Why did I skip? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Chapter 2 was good, though. Uh, By the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I unceasingly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, having remembered your tears, so that I may be filled with joy, being reminded of the unhypocritical faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lewis and your mother Eunice, and I am convinced that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of either the witness about our Lord or me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been manifested by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Hold to the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of this, that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Philegius and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy to the house of Onesiris, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the morning that you've given us uh, to come and to open your word, Lord, to spend some time together. Uh, Father, we pray that this would be uh, refreshing, uh, Lord, that um, it would be good reminders that it wouldn't just be a, a check mark, but Lord, these would be things that we would go on from this day, meditating on, uh, thinking on how we can faithfully apply these truths in our own lives, in our own homes, workplaces, and Lord, just the different spheres of interactions that you've given us. So Lord, we commit it to you. Lord, we ask that you would help us to glorify you throughout the day, including this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, so if you would uh, take your booklets. We're going to begin on page 89 uh, because that's uh, where we ended. If you don't have a booklet, I've got it pinned on GroupMe up at the top on the lead GroupMe, so you could go there um, and find it, follow along the PDF. We're going to be on page 89 to start. I'm actually just going to briefly uh, touch on this um, because a lot of it we kind of covered last week, and I don't want to be too redundant. 
And then we'll be talking about peacemaking in the home on page 92. So just one topic to cover uh, first. And it's this idea that he brings up of positional or parental uh, forgiveness, which I never heard it put quite like that. So I thought I would just explain that uh, first before we uh, begin. So positional, another way you might put that would be um, judicial. Uh, more of a formal kind of uh, forgiveness. Um, and this is basically the forgiveness that we have in God where it does not change. We have been forgiven, so positionally before Him, we are uh, fully forgiven, made righteous. All past, present, future sin um, has been nailed to the cross and has been done away with and forgiven. That's what he means by positional. And what he's going to go on to say is that we can't give someone that kind of forgiveness. And so when someone comes to us asking for forgiveness, we have nothing to say about their, their past, present, or future sins necessarily, and particularly with their relationship with God. Uh, this is a, a debt that is owed to us. They're asking for forgiveness, and we forgive that one debt. Um, and so that's his point in making that. Uh, parental is... What he's basically arguing is kind of the ongoing daily restoration of relationships. So this would be more of the kind of forgiveness uh, that we're talking about. This is a relational uh, forgiveness. Uh, and in one sense, this is still the case with us um, and God, uh, because even though we have been fully forgiveness, forgiven and made righteous, we've been adopted into his family. Uh, he still disciplines those he loves, right? And we can obviously still sin, um, and the Bible calls us to ongoing uh, confession. Uh, you can see this in First John. You can turn there, First John chapter six, which talks about this. Um, or later, he brings up uh, John thirteen, where Christ washes the disciples' feet, and right before he does that, he tells Peter, "You were already clean," so that's positional. Uh, but then he encourages. Obviously, the idea of allowing him to wash his feet. And so, you know, Jerry Rag is using that kind of as an example of, yes, you're fully clean, but there is a sense where we're continually going to him for sanctification, for washing, and for restoration, those types of things. So First John chapter 1, starting in verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, and the idea there is uh, continual, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Uh, and so confession is a continual part of the Christian's life. Um, and we ought to, did this just go out? I can hear it. So we ought to constantly want to come to the Lord, allowing Him um, to set us on the right path, uh, confessing our heart that we don't want to continue down the wrong path, that we've sinned against Him. This ought to be a part of the Christian's uh, walk. And so that's basically what the point that he's making over those next couple of pages. Um, and I didn't want to belabor that to death. So... With that being said, let's turn over to page 92, and we're going to look at peacemaking in the home. Peacemaking in the home. 
which obviously is an important thing for the man of God. Uh, We want our homes first to be a place of peace, restoration, reconciliation. He gives us a few verses at the beginning of the study here just to help us see the importance of this. Romans 12, 18, be at peace with all men. Uh, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I like how he brings out the word rule there in the Greek means to uh, arbitrate, uh, so to act like a a judge, a ref, uh, an umpire in one sense. Uh, And so we're literally allowing the peace of Christ to rule our hearts, uh, which is obviously going to help in our conflicts. Uh, The opposite of that, allowing uh, Satan, our flesh, to rule in our hearts is, is obviously going to uh, just stoke the fire of the conflict. Um, another one, 1 Thessalonians 5.13, live in peace with one another. And then he adds, make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. And so instead of that, we're paying back love for wrong. Uh, Romans 15.5, you can turn there. Uh, this is another great passage. Uh, 15.5 of Romans. And again, this is all over the place, but we'll just highlight a couple of these. 15.5, Now may the God of perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. The basis of our forgiveness is Christ. Christ has forgiven us an immense amount, therefore we forgive one another. The basis of our acceptance is the acceptance of Christ. Christ has accepted us, therefore we accept uh, one another. Matthew 5.9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, and then uh, Colossians 3.13, we read verse 15, but says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. So this is the repeated call of Scripture. Uh, this is, of course, uh, true in the church, and of course, this is also ought to be true uh, in our homes. Uh, so with that being said, let's begin to look at how we solve conflict biblically in our home. And he's going to begin with ways that we solve it unbiblically. Uh, And unfortunately, these are ways that we're all probably pretty familiar with. And so here's a few ways. One, he says, manipulation. So there's a disagreement, there's a conflict, whatever it may be. um, And you may try to manipulate uh, the situation um, through deceptive means. You can do this several ways. You can withhold information in order to make things seem better than they, they are. Uh, You can misrepresent the argument of the other person. Uh, You can ramp it up. Uh, And you you see this all the time in social media, in the news. Uh, You know, Trump says something, Biden says something, and what are they going to do? They're going to say something that he didn't say, uh, but ramp it up and create kind of a straw man argument. And essentially what they're doing is uh, loving the conflict and misrepresenting the purpose, and they're manipulating their audience, and the other person. Uh, So that's shading information in your favor. Uh, You can blatantly lie uh, or exaggerate. Exaggerating, you always do this, you never do that. 
Um, you could deny, you could blame, uh, you can change the subject, okay, this is a, a conflict going on and I don't really want to deal with that, and so I'm just going to kind of subtly change the subject, go to something else. You can focus on their sin, so you know, your wife's bringing something to you uh, that she wants you to see, and you use that as an opportunity to instead turn it on her. Uh, well, I did this because of you, or whatever that may be. These are all uh, unbiblical ways of handling a conflict. Intimidation, can this can certainly be one that men uh, can be guilty of. Instead of uh, solving the conflicts, you just shout, dominate by your presence. Um, I think we could do this probably even more so with our kids, and so we want to be careful of that. Um, isolation, um, and this is more just in the category of shutting down, silent treatment, cold shoulder, um, and so, yeah, she knows you're mad, but you don't want to deal with it, and so you just kind of isolate the situation. Um, and then another one that I put down would just be the, the sweeping it under the rug, and so it's, it's something that needs to be dealt with. You don't want to be deal with it. You don't want the uncomfort, whatever it may be. We're just going to kind of sweep that under the rug and not worry about it and, and keep going on until that ugly monster rears its head again. Uh, and so all of these things would be unbiblical. And some of that is based upon the idea of really a wrong understanding of peace. And so you might sweep it under the rug. There might be a false peace for a little bit, um, but there's really no true peace that's reigning in your heart. There's no restorative peace, reconciling kind of peace. We haven't come to an agreement. And so we want to make sure that we're not aiming at false peace, but the kind of peace that pleases Christ. So what are some evidences that we are trying to solve the conflict unbiblically? One, just as I mentioned, uh, there's no real true peace. You're not really together. There's no true reconciliation. You might say there is, uh, but there's not. You can't look at each other or whatever it may be, talk to each other. Um, then there's no true peace. Um, it's weakening you um, and making you atrophy over time. And so an example I thought, well, what could weaken you? Well, it would be something like anger or bitterness. And I've seen this before you know, where someone or even myself harbors bitterness, uh, whether or not you think you're justified, well, you actually always think you're justified when you're harboring bitterness. But that begins to affect your own spiritual life um, and can take you down paths that you never would have gone before and sometimes can even take you down really bad paths. And so you want to make sure that's not happening. Uh, your marriage will have little relational harmony. Uh, you might find yourself talking about the other person in, in ways that are not loving or kind. Uh, there can be gossip and, and slander that come in. Um, he says in here later in life, you, you might say things like, well, we just grew apart. Uh, and he makes the point, well, you didn't probably grow apart. You more walked apart. You separated uh, yourself. Uh, and all these things could be an example of false peace. And I would just say instead of that, the idea that we have to have in our minds, I am a peacemaker. And a peacemaker is someone who takes action. You have to initiate. You have to do something. You have to aim at the conflict, which can be uncomfortable, 
And this means that we cannot have as an idol in our homes comfort. And I had this for many years. I love comfort when it comes to conflict. I don't like the conflict. But if comfort is an idol, then what will essentially begin to happen is things will brew under the surface uh, for many years. And so we have to be the opposite of that, peacemakers, and peacemakers have to get their hands dirty. Uh, and so that's what we want to be. He says that the heart are two basic idolatries, idols. One, false peace might come because we believe the lie that God is not sovereign. So instead of forgiving, we justify separation. Uh, they're toxic, unhealthy, etc. can even lead to a divorce. And so we're not trusting in God's sovereign work. We're not trusting in the biblical solution and what the Bible says. Uh, we begin to, because we hate the conflict, because we hate the person, whatever it may be, uh, we use unbiblical means to separate. And of course, the, the ultimate example would be an unbiblical divorce. And there's all kinds of arguments going around these days, not only outside of the church, but inside of the church, that would seek to say, yes, in this case, it is okay to get a divorce when the Bible gives no such justification. Another thing would be we might think that superficial unity is sufficient. And so you feel like, hey, it's okay, uh, even though we don't have agreement here, even though I don't really like this person or whatever, God is okay if we just don't ever talk again, or if we just agree to disagree or whatever it may be. Um, and of course, that is not the kind of unity uh, that God is after. This kind of unity, he says, is human, manufactured, self-centered, and self-preserving kind of peace. And you can maybe circle that word self-centered, because uh, that's stood out to me. Um, that's often what's going on in my heart when I'm pursuing false peace. I'm just being uh, selfish. Um, it's temporary. It never lasts. It gives people a false sense of peace. Jeremiah 8.11, peace, peace, when there is no true uh, peace. Uh, in the end, it dishonors Christ and the gospel. How does it do that? Well, even in Christ's high priestly prayer, he's praying that we would be one so that the world might know him. And so our peace with one another, uh, within the home, outside of the home, in the church, is an example of Christ in the church. Uh, and so... Not having peace dishonors Christ um, and distorts the gospel. We need to keep that in our mind, and so the stakes are, are high. And then he says, as Christians, we're called to the opposite of this. We're called to engage in the conflict, engage in the difficulty, um, and learn through the process. Learn through the process. Um, and I would just say another possibility um, of pursuing false unity would just be when we pursue it at the expense of truth. And so you can have a certain kind of false unity when you just set the truth aside or you don't deal with the problem. Um, but we can never do that. We can't accept all lifestyles, for example, whatever it may be. It has to be peace with the truth in Christ. Uh, and so there you go. For distinguishing between conflict and disagreement, I think this is important. There is a difference. Uh, and so he's going to say disagreements are good and right and happen and are normal. 
Um, you're, for example, in your marriage, you're just two different people. And Nikki and I often, for example, come at conflict with two different perspectives, two ways of doing things. Um, I'm a little slower, she's a little quicker, you know, those types of things. Uh, there's, those are natural disagreements that need to happen, that are sharpening, um, that ought to be happening in our relationships. He says, though, that conflict happens uh, as a result of our sin, uh, sinful desires. And we can turn over to James chapter 4 to see this, because James definitely brings this out. In James chapter 4, 1 through 4. It says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy with God. So, what is James saying? He's saying that at the heart of all of our conflict is really our desires. And one thing that you might ask yourself whenever you're in a disagreement with someone, in a disagreement with your wife, is what am I wanting? It's a very simple question. What am I wanting? And often that will bring clarity, at least to your own heart, as to what you need to repent of, what you need to change um, in your approach. And I would say it's probably not going to be helpful to ask, and, or at least not ask her, what is she wanting? Because you probably don't know. <laughs> you should ask her, not just assume. But if you can get to the heart of that, uh, then perhaps you can get more along the lines of a disagreement and now coming to the place where we agree in Christ and you get the emotions and the desires out of the way. And so we want to make sure that we're not having conflict in that way. Another way that you can maybe tell the difference between a conflict and a disagreement would just be the, the fruits that happen. Um, and so, for example, the fruits of the flesh in Galatians 5.19, he says, are evident. He says, enmities, strife, jealousies, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envying, uh, things like these. Um, these are things that ought to be off. And so if in our hearts there are things like envy, selfish ambition, jealousy, outburst, anger, all these types of things, uh, well, then you know that this has turned into uh, more than just a disagreement. This is a, a conflict uh, that is certainly not pleasing to the Lord. Uh, and of course, if you want a quick way out of that and a quick repentance path, then just read what Paul says in regards to the fruits of the Spirit and seek to put on that. How can I love through this conflict? One thing I was going to share with you, we were just at a summer camp, or not summer camp, winter camp. Definitely didn't feel like summer camp. It was winter camp. Um, and one of the things that the speaker shared, he got the, the privilege of uh, toting around Conrad and Bebway um, at the Truth and Life conference um, that they had at their church. 
And so he's the guy that's following around Conrad. Um, he's a, a pastor in Africa. And he had just lost his son. Uh, he had died. His son was 29. Um, and <clears throat> somehow, I'm trying to remember, oh, this is how it came up. He asked, how can I pray for you? And he recorded his answer on his, his voicemail. So I guess he didn't get him, so he left him a voicemail. Here's how you can pray with me. And what stood out to me is, this was his prayer. He said, basically, brother, help me to steward this trial well for the glory of God and for the kingdom. And I thought, man, that is such a, a great way to approach not only our trials, but every aspect of life. Um, take a, a conflict, take a disagreement. Father, help me to steward this situation well for your glory. Um, and, and I think that's a great way to set our minds in the right way, is are we praying according to those means? Or are we praying according to our selfish desires? And that's what James is essentially saying. But here's a prayer that goes beyond selfish desires. And now puts it on the right path. I, I want to please you. Help me. Help me to please you uh, in this way. And so we want to make sure that we're aiming to do that. So distinguishing between conflict and disagreement. Causes of strong disagreements are not always sinful. Um, and this is true. He says disagreement can be due to difference in worldview, responses. I would add personality preferences, he says, views of, of money, maturity, all these kinds of things can come as a disagreement that's not necessarily sinful. It can even come um, secondary and tertiary issues in the Bible. We have different views on those. That kind of disagreement isn't necessarily sinful. Uh, that's just a result of our fallen nature. We don't know everything, um, and we're different. Um, he cites as an example the split between Paul and uh, Barnabas when they split over John Mark in Acts 15. Um, he says there's nothing in the text that indicates that that's necessarily a sinful separation. Nevertheless, they did separate. It was a sharp disagreement, the text says. Um, and so we want to make sure that we're not making every disagreement, putting it in the category as this is a sinful uh, disagreement. Uh, benefits of a disagreement. I think this is a, a helpful section. As you're going through a conflict, a disagreement, you should be thinking, hey, the Lord can be doing something here that's super uh, helpful and is sanctifying, and I need to embrace that. Uh, and so he cites this a couple of verses. Proverbs 27, 17, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I personally don't usually think of that verse in terms of a conflict. You know, I, I think of that verse as like, hey, we're, we're good friends. There's nothing wrong with us, you know, and we're just having a good conversation. We're sharpening one another. Um, but I will say that it is true, especially when you, you've got the two brothers in Christ you know, who are going through a bit of a disagreement. That can be a very sharpening process. Um, and it probably makes more sense in terms of the verse because if you think about iron sharpening iron, that hurts a little bit. Um, and this may hurt a little bit, um, but if God is over it, and if both are turning to God, He can use it. It can also get you to trust God um, on a new level, he says. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for 
good. And so a conflict, a disagreement uh, can test our theology. Do you truly believe that? Hey, this situation might hurt, uh, but do you believe that God is using it for your good and for His glory, for the advancement of the kingdom? Here's another one. You are exposed to your own sinfulness. And that is certainly true. Uh, When you go through a conflict, what it brings out is exactly what James is saying here. Uh, These are desires that aren't good. Uh, These are things that you could not see before. Um, And you need to embrace that. And I would say one way you're never going to get out of a conflict is if you can't see your own sin. If you can't admit to your own wrong. Uh, A good way that can provide a little bit of light out of the tunnel is to stop looking at the other person and just to say, how am I wrong in this? And just leave it there. Just leave it there. Um, And so the Lord can use that to show you your own sinfulness. It will get you to search the Scriptures in in new ways. I want to make sure that I'm I'm doing things right. I want to make sure that I understand this correctly. And it can drive you to God's Word in ways that maybe you hadn't been doing before. Um, It can help your prayer life as you pray for understanding and you pray for wisdom going forward. Uh, You're forced to communicate more effectively, and I would say that is certainly true. In a conflict, you learn, man, I can say things that are unhelpful. Shut it. (laughs) Don't say that. Don't text that. Um, And all those things that sometimes conflicts bring out are in your heart. And what you learn is a few words, fitly spoken in the right moment, can be really helpful. Um, but if you say everything that's on your heart, it can really put you down a path where you can almost never be reconciled. And so you want to make sure that you're careful with your words, that your words are according to Scripture, um, Ephesians 4, uh, building one another up, giving grace to those who hear. And so a conflict, this is an example to really think through what is going to build up. What is going to aim at peace? What is going to glorify God? What is going to give grace? What is not going to give these things? Uh, Whereas you weren't forced to do that before in a conflict, you are. Uh, You get an opportunity to die to yourself. There's hostility between two people. And this is a situation where you really don't want to die to yourself because what do you want? You want what you want. And... Biblically speaking, this is a great opportunity to now say, because it hurts, I'm done pursuing my way. What does Christ want? How can I serve you? Uh, And that's really hard to do, but there's a lesson to be learned in that. So I thought that was very helpful. There's all kinds of benefits in disagreement. Also in disagreement, we must learn to speak the truth in love. And so not only forced to communicate more effectively, but also, as a Christian, we should be forced in a sense, or or we should desire that we're speaking what we're speaking out of right motivation and out of love, not out of selfish ambition. Um, And so a conflict will force you to think through that um, more carefully. Uh, And then last, guarding against falling into sin when disagreeing. 
we need to take care of our own heart. We need to wash our heart. We need to make sure that God is the standard. We need to be praying for one another in the midst of this. Um, there's big pitfalls when you're in conflict, and as uh, sinners, we can have a tendency to walk into all of them. Um, and so seek out wisdom. Now find other people who love you, who will tell you the truth, who will sharpen you. Um, when you're in conflict with something in your wife, um, go to an older, wiser, godly man and, and ask, well, what would he do? All these kind of things. Make sure that you're avoiding the pitfalls that come in a conflict. And then last, I thought this was great. Um, we'll just read Psalm 86 to close. And then we will go to our tables and discuss. But he gives this as an example of a prayer that you could pray in the midst of a conflict. And there, of course, are all kinds of places uh, that you could go. Um, but this is a good one. Psalm 86, Incline your ear, O Yahweh, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Keep my soul, for I am a holy one. O you, my God, save your slave who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I call all day long. Make glad the soul of your slave, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and by nature forgiving and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Yahweh, to my prayer and give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my distress, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. There was no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship you, and they shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Yahweh, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness towards me is great, and you have delivered my soul from Sheol, beloved. That's all an introduction. He's just dealing with his heart before the Lord. Now you see the situation. O God, arrogant men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. O grant your strength to your slave and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, O Yahweh, have helped me and have comforted me. Just a, a great example. Remember who God is will help you to operate in the way that God does and remember to go to Him in these kinds of situations. Let me pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, that in all of our conflicts, and all of our disagreements, there is something to be learned. Uh, Father, help us to first turn inward to our own hearts. Lord, not to see the speck in our brother's eye, uh, but the log in our own. And Father, we can't remove this log unless you help us to see it clearly. So Lord, help us to do that. Father, we just pray for a peace here um, at Believer's Fellowship and peace within our own homes. Pray that this would be a peace of Christ. Now, Lord, that would rule uh, and that would glorify you. And Father, I pray for each man here that you would help us to grow in our ability to make peace 
Um, Father, that we would get involved in situations because we desire to glorify you and to do things biblically and to do things right. Lord, you've given us a great practice ground in our own homes. So Lord, help us to do that with our wives and with our children for your glory. Help us to steward these situations well. We pray in your name. Amen.